Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Nice little summary verse. So you kind of understand what's happening and uh, what the rest of the narrative is going to be about. Now the first words of this passage I want to draw your attention to. But God remembered Noah. This is the whole reason for the flood receding. It's all wrapped up in that one phrase. Why did the flood recede? Why was Noah spared? Because God remembered Noah. God remembered the promise he gave to Noah. So the drama behind this very short sentence is really quite powerful. The world's population, as we are already quite aware, has gone sin berserk. And they've... At this point, except for eight people on board this ark, the world's population has been wiped out by a devastating flood from God. I don't even know we can wrap our brain around that. What if I woke up tomorrow morning and I discovered the entire population of the world was gone except my wife and myself? You know, how do you even begin to cope with that? And that's, that's really... Trying to, trying to understand the impact, the emotional, psychological this impact this had on Noah. Everybody's gone. And they're starting over from scratch. The torrential floodwaters provided many tense days for the passengers on the ark. The storm raged and the ark creaked and reeled. And for five weeks, five days, it stormed day and night as the judgment of God was being poured out. No sunshine, no relief from the rain. It just kept coming. It must have seemed it was never going to relent. But on the 41st day, the storm finally broke. And it was the first evidence that they were actually going to survive this whole thing. You know the reason? Because God remembered Noah. That's why he survived. That's why the flood came to an end. That's why the waters began to recede. Because it's all based on God's promise to this man. Now, it may seem when we are in the midst of of that storm that God has forgotten us. Or maybe you're more holy than I am. 
And maybe you never have those doubts. But I've been slammed by the storms of life a number of times. And once in a while, it gets so intense that I begin to wonder, God, where are you? Now, I believe you exist, and I, I think you love me. But where are you? This storm just isn't coming to an end. Where are you? I pray and I don't hear anything. I don't see any changes. Where are you, God? And we begin to doubt. It may seem that we're about to be overwhelmed by the violent storm that we're in. It may seem that we're being swallowed up by our tests and our wars and our adversities. But God remembers. We have to settle that in our mind. There are times when it's vitally important that we understand we're not forgotten. There's times when it's vitally important that we are not forgotten, whether we understand that or not. When I was about three years old, four years old perhaps, we had a, an ice chest on the back patio that my brother and sister, my brother five years older than I am, my sister seven years old, older than me, wanted to play hide-and-seek. And my brother looked at this ice chest and said, that would be a wonderful place for me to hide. So he put me inside of this and closed the lid. Now, to my recollection, I don't think it was a latching lid. It didn't matter at that point. I was in the chest and the lid was closed. I was all for it till I got in there. And it didn't take one second for me to figure out, I don't like this. And I had these visions of life going on for my brother and sister, and they forget all about hide and seek, and they're busy with other things, and I'm still in this chest. And so I panicked. I began to scream. And then my brother, I don't think he was very far away, came and opened it up and let me out. Now, I'm telling you, that's one of those times when you don't want to be forgotten. I've heard a lot of stories in my life of people who are traveling, and you do your pit stop, and you get back in, you get going, and you forgot somebody. You ever done that? You ever been the victim, or have you ever forgotten somebody? It's kind of hard when you're in a small car, and there's only like four noses to count. But if you're in a motorhome, if you're in a bus, I used to hobnob around a little bit with a lot of gospel singers and rode the bus with them for a while. And, and uh, I know of stories when the bus pulls up and you got eight, nine, ten people on the bus and they all get off and they go get a hamburger, they go to the bathroom, they go whatever. And they get back on, the bus goes down the road and the drummer's still there. And they're miles down the road. It's horrible. What a frightening feeling, frustrating feeling to think you've been forgotten. So I'm trying to relate to you some of our fears of what about if God has forgotten me? But this word remember used in this passage doesn't mean just to call to mind. It's, it's more, just a little bit different flavor than that. 
God simply never forgets. We understand that. But it is a covenant word. It means that God did not forget to honor his promise to Noah. And we have to go back and read the covenant to understand what that's about. In the previous chapter, it tells about the coming flood and, and God's plans uh, as he shares with Noah what he's going to do. And he says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all of life from under heaven. Every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. So God made a promise right there. It's going to get bad. But I'm going to put you in the ark. And you're going to ride through this. And you're going to be all right. So when the flood comes. And the ark is enduring, taking the blows, the fiercest blows of the storm, the violent flooding. And finally the storm's over, and the ark comes to a rest. Why? Because God didn't forget what he told Noah. I'm going to spare you. I'm going to spare your family. This word remembered is used a number of times in the Old Testament in connection with God's covenant with somebody. Now, in Egypt, if we go to another story, there was a time when the king had died and the children of Israel were in Egypt, but they were now in bondage in slavery. They didn't go there in slavery, but they ended up in slavery. And they are groaning and crying out to God. And it didn't seem like anything was coming together. You, you have to understand that these children of Jacob, these children of Israel, feel deserted by God. They are in Egypt and they don't see any indication that God cares that they are there. But God remembered. And here they're enduring the slavery wondering why God doesn't listen to their prayers. And here's maybe one little evidence of hope. One of their own is actually in the royal family, Moses. And one would think that they would look at that and say, we've got an inside connection. Yet Moses, when he goes to defend his own people, as he's an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he kills the Egyptian, they get mad at him. Now you've done it. Life's bad enough without you coming along and making life more difficult for us. So this, this Hebrew who is there as a deliverer, he's their hope. They turn against him, and then what's Moses do? Moses flees. Nothing is coming together yet to assure them God hasn't forgotten them. So not only have they rejected their deliverer, he's flown. He went somewhere. He went on the backside of the desert. He, he got out of there. He didn't want it. It looks like the whole plan's falling apart. How is this going to come together? But God did not forget. And God heard their groaning, 
And the Bible says he remembered. There it is. Underscore that. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. The Hebrew people thought God's forgotten, but God didn't forget. He, he knew the promise he made, and he was going to hold true to it. When God was preparing to rain fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah, he first sent angelic messengers to personally escort Lot and his family out of the path of destruction. You know why he did that? Because the Bible says so. When God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. He brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Why? Because he made a promise. And he remembered. God doesn't forget. When Rachel cried out to God because she couldn't have children, God remembered Rachel and opened up her dead womb. When God challenged Moses, give me one good reason why I shouldn't wipe these rebellious people out. And Moses said, because you made a promise. And I want you to remember the promise you made. And it's not like God had forgotten it. He just wanted to know that Moses knew. Give me one good reason, because you promised. God says, good enough. I never forget a promise. Write it down, Moses. Don't forget. That's the only reason. Because I made a promise. And I don't renege on my promises. And we keep worrying about God forgetting. God doesn't have a problem living up to his covenantal promises. We have a problem remembering God. He remembers us. He remembers his promises. We tend to forget all kinds of stuff. Yes, we do. We are so moved by God's mercy and God's grace and God's blessings. That special time comes in your life when you're just melted by his, his love and his favor and you're just a, a, a pool of butter in front of him. Oh God, you've been faithful when I haven't been faithful. Lord, I, I just now realize how much I love you. God, uh, I promise that I will do anything you ask me to do. I'm going to straighten my life out. I'm going to get in church. I'm going to start tithing. God, I'm just so overwhelmed with your goodness. And you make all these promises. And two weeks later, you forgot them all. Because we don't remember. We conveniently forget all our promises to God. God never forgets. You know, the entire eighth chapter of Deuteronomy, you may want to look at that sometime. Don't do it right now. The entire eighth chapter of Deuteronomy is devoted to encouraging the children of Israel, never forget the Lord. And it's so repetitive in there. If you want to read a good chapter on encouraging you, don't forget God. Read that chapter. So this whole chapter, preaching to the children of Israel, don't forget him. Remember him. Remember what he's done for you. Don't forsake him. And you look at the history of Israel, 
What'd they do? They forgot God over and over and over again. So thankful for his delivering power. So thankful for his blessings. And then just a short while later, they have forgotten God. We forget so easily. We're specially blessed by God. And then when the trials and the difficulties come, we forget all of our promises. God's not the one with the integrity problem here. We have to take responsibility for that. God remembered. Now the flood begins to recede. After raining for 40 days, 40 nights, the rain stopped. The waters continued to rise after the rain stopped for another 110 days. You think this is never going to go away. On the 150th day, the waters finally began to abate. And from that point on, it took another 193 days for the land to be dried and suitable enough for Noah and his family to exit the ark. Now let's add that up. Noah and family spent a total of 370 days on the ark, more than a year. They got on each other's nerves, you have to know. And the bulk of the flood came on the earth in the first 40 days. And it took another 300 days, more than 300 days after that initial flooding for the flood to be completely gone and ready for them to disembark. Now this is a suitable illustration for how we endure the trials of life. It took nine times longer for the flood to completely go away than it did for it to come. How many of you know when trials come, they come like a flood? But it takes a long time for them to go away. You get slammed overnight, but you suffer the effects of it for months, for years. It all goes back to that one little short incident. It didn't take five years to come. It just came overnight. Kind of like the evidence of this flood. Chaos comes like a sudden flood. In a mere 24 hours, you hear what I'm saying? Your life can be turned upside down. Here you are today. There's not a lot of Maybe difficulty in your life. Maybe you're feeling pretty good. Maybe life is going fair for you. Maybe it's going pretty good. But you're here. You're not in the hospital. You're here. But literally within 24 hours, you could discover news that would turn your life upside down. And you would say, if I could just turn the clock back 24 hours where I didn't really, by comparison, have a care in the world. That's how fast. These problems can come and get slammed. And then recovery takes a long, long time. But in the process, even though the bulk of it was right up front with the 40 days of the flood and it continued for another 150 days to rise, even the bulk of it right, is right up front and a long time receding, a long time going away, don't forget one thing that the whole time Noah and his family are on the ark. The troubles are around them, 
but they're safe. They're on the ark. God will hold you in the hollow of his hand. The storm comes. It takes a long time for it to go away, but you're still held by the power of God. You're still protected by him. When you're in God's will, you're in the ark. He'll watch over you. He'll take care of you. Now, let me throw just a, a little freebie in here, kind of in the midst of this sermon. We all know the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. We could, we could tell that story to our children, our grandchildren, with a fair amount of accuracy. We know it. It's well rehearsed. But most of the time when we tell the story, we don't tell it in such a fashion as to relate who the star of the story is. In the ways that we share this, Noah's always the main character. And in reality... Noah is a bit player. He's not the star. And it's a shame that while we tell the story and we tell the exploits of Noah, and it's, it's, it's a good story to tell, and his faith is remarkable, it's a shame that we don't focus in on the real star of the story. The star is God. This is all about God. Noah's interesting, but we cannot let the story of Noah overshadow what this tells us about God. Noah's typically represented as the main character. But we, we are adults, and we have a responsibility to look at God as the main focus of this story in the proper perspective. Noah was just an also. He was a, he was a not even a co-star. He was just he was just an extra. God is the star of the story. He he directed and empowered Noah on everything that he had to do. Whatever Noah accomplished, he accomplished because of God. And it's also a story of God's broken heart over the wickedness of humans. It's a story of God's plan to rescue the planet from human destruction. It was on a fast course for being overtaken by sinful people. And God says, I'm not going to let that happen. It's a story of God. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of granting a new beginning and wiping the old away. All of these are God. So in this brief overview of the flood narrative in chapters 6 and 8, we see something very interesting and very significant. Throughout these chapters, you see it repeated, and God told Noah. And do you realize throughout all of these chapters, it is not recorded, not one word spoken by Noah is recorded. Now, that's not to infer he never said anything. It's to infer that the author didn't think anything Noah had to say was as important as what God had to say. And God and Noah never spoke one it's recorded word, one word worth recording. Until you get down to disembarking from the ark 
And then Noah gets drunk and Ham finds him naked and goes and tells his brothers, come, you want to see something funny? Come look at dad. This is hilarious. It's, it's that twisted, dirty bathroom humor that people get caught up in. And Noah was so incensed by what had happened, he cursed Canaan. Now that's, that's the first words that we find Noah speaking in the whole thing. Now, what that means is, who's the star? It's not the mute Noah of the story, it's the verbal God. It's the one who's commanding, it's the one who's directing, it's the one who's got the plan. You read the story of Noah and the flood, you cannot, you cannot miss the overwhelming presence of God speaking and directing and being the star of this whole show. Noah didn't make a move that we know of without God directing him to move. So there's three main places where God speaks to Noah during the course of building the ark and enduring the flood and coming off the ark. In chapters 6 through 8, the three times God speaks to Noah, and has a lot to say every time he speaks to him, but the three times he speaks to him, each time he gives Noah a specific command. The first time he speaks to Noah, he says, build an ark. And there's a lot of information that goes along after that as he tells him how to build it. The second time he speaks to Noah, he says, get on the ark. And the third time he speaks to Noah, he says, now, get off the ark. See, Noah didn't do anything without God. So Noah is on the ark. He built a boat because God told him to. He got on the ark when God told him to and because God told him to. But he's sitting on the ark for a year and the family is saying, it looks like we can get off. There's land. And Noah's saying, God hasn't spoken yet. Noah's not the most popular person on the ark right now. They want off this boat. And Noah will not move until God says, now it's time to get off the ark. You know what it was? It was the waiting game. We hate the waiting game. Let's just be honest, people. Everything looks fine. We ought to be able to get off this, land, off this, off this ark. I see land. There's a little mud, but let's don't worry about the mud. Let's get off. You know what the problem is? It's not God's timing yet. It looks good to you. It's just not God's timing yet. God hasn't spoken yet. He hasn't said it's time to get off the ark. It looks good to you. You're fighting against God's will. It's time. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm fed up to here with this. I, I, I've got to go. God hasn't spoken yet. So you wait. They don't want one more day of having to take care of those animals. We're done. But God hasn't said yet. So we're so tempted to move ahead of God. Everything looks so good to us. What's God waiting for? I don't know how many times I've asked that question. So it goes back to the first point. God, have you forgotten me? You put me on this ark. I'm going to die on this thing. You have forgotten me. You're off busy building other universes. I don't know what you're doing. You, you put me on this ark and I... Where are you, God? 
By my estimation, it's way overdue time for us to get off this. What are you waiting on? We get impatient with God. And unless we understand God's timing is so much better than our timing, we get gnarly. <laughs> Waiting on God is vital. God's timing is better than our timing. Wait on the Lord. Surviving the flood, God finally gives Moses permission to disembark. And they lower the ramps, whatever they have to do to get off this thing. And the eight people come off and the animals start coming off. And I've already told you, try to imagine the emotional, psychological impact that Noah walks into this world devoid of any other human beings. And here come the animals, and they're going to scatter. And Noah's the new Adam. He's kind of in charge of everything now. He's the patriarch. There's nobody above him on earth. He's in charge of it all. It must have been overwhelming. And we do know that this impacted Noah to the point that it drove him to this very fundamental, important, vital act that Noah coming off the ark. You know what he decides the most important thing to do is? He says, grab me some of those clean animals and some of those clean fowl and bring them to me. And Noah found whatever material he could find, stones, whatever, found some dry wood somewhere and he built an altar and he built a big fire and he took of the precious limited resources of the animals and he slayed clean some of the clean animals some of the clean fowl put them on the fire and made a sacrifice to God and as the fire burned the fat and began to crackle, the greasy smoke wound up to the heavens. And Moses says in his account of this that God caught a whiff of the smoke from this sacrifice. And he liked it. It was a pleasing odor to the Lord. It was Noah's expression of his deepest gratitude. It must have been overwhelming to think that the whole world was wiped out but him. Why me, God? Now, you, you know, usually when we ask, why me, it's from a different direction. Usually when we're asking, why me, it's why is everybody else blessed but me? 
Why me? But usually it's not from the direction of God. Why did you bless me and not them? How many of you have, have asked it from that perspective? How many of you have approached this question before God? Lord what, Lord, what did I do to deserve? It's always, Lord, I deserve more than I've got. Why is your blessings being poured out on people that I can tell you all kinds of things wrong with them? I've been keeping count. But why is it we so rarely look at the blessings that we do have and say, why me, God? I know a lot of people that appear to be a whole lot more deserving than me. So Noah looks around. The, the, the world population is wiped out, and it must have overwhelmed him. I'm just imagining, but it must have overwhelmed him as eight people get off the ark, and Noah thinks, God, why us? It, that could have been us in the flood we could have been wiped out I know I'm not a perfect man God and Noah reflects back on his life and his failures and wonder why me why do I deserve to be on an ark and in complete humility and gratitude he puts together the sacrifice and sacrifices to God because you know what it suddenly dawns on him through all of this he's been through, it comes crystal clear to his mind. This being is worthy of worship. He has seen the power of his judgment. And he fears him greatly. But he has also seen the tenderness of his mercy and his love. And he's deeply humbled. And when you get a hold of that side of God, when you see the majesty of his being, when you see the strength of his judgment, when you see the depth of his mercy and his love, how can you do but anything but just to back up and say, oh, he's worthy of all worship and all praise because he's God and I'm not. It's humbling to see the power of God when it's unleashed. If it zaps the guy next to you and it doesn't zap you, it's, oh, Lord, thank you, God. What did I do to deserve being spared? You know, some people have a problem understanding why seemingly innocent people die, why the judgment of God comes on people that it, you just can't quite understand. Lord, did they, they didn't deserve that. Look at the flood. How many babies were destroyed in the flood. And that's a sticking point for a lot of people. They didn't deserve that. What about Uzzah? Whenever he reached out to study the ark. The priest. Remember the ark was going down the road. And the oxen stumbled. And the ark was going to fall. And the priest reaches out. And he touches it. And he, he's dead. And we read that. And we get all incensed. Well God. Isn't that kind of harsh? All he did was try to do something good. Try to study the ark. It's not fair God. That he died. You know, you're looking at it wrong. The, the amazing thing is not that Uzzah died. The amazing thing is we have not. Because we've all failed. We've all sinned. We've all come short. The miracle is those who have not been judged by God. I'm a living miracle that I have not been judged by God. Because of my failures and my shortcomings. 
So I should have been like Uzzah. I should have been dead a long time ago. I should have been in the flood. I should have been a victim of the flood. But it's a miracle. It's amazing. It's humbling that I am spared today. Why me? Why have you spared me? Noah understood what many people fail to grasp today, and that is the almighty creator is worthy of our praise. But the sacrifice was not just worship of God. It was a sacrifice also symbolically for Noah coming before God and seeing the power of his judgment and his hatred of sin and humbly coming forth before God with some sacrifices and saying, God, I know this is kind of a paltry offering, but I want you to understand, I know how you feel about sin. And he was making not only an offering of praise to God, he was making a sin offering in appeasement to God, who he has just seen the greatest act of judgment that this world has ever known and ever will know until God comes back and purges us with fire. There's been nothing like that flood. And he comes before him with a sin offering to appease God. God, for all the people who have offended you, for my own inconsistent life, for the sins of my family. Lord, have mercy on us. I don't want ever want to be a victim of your judgment. Have mercy on us. So he builds the fire, sacrifices the animals. And verse 21 says, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as, a, as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And God smelled the sacrifice and he was appeased. The aroma was pleasing to him. He wants us to come humbly before him. That's what it's all about, is humbling ourselves before God. He wants us to acknowledge we're not perfect. God, these are my imperfections. I come bringing sacrifice to you. He wants us to acknowledge our weaknesses. He wants us to bow before him in complete humility. And our humility before God is a pleasing aroma to him. Would you bow your heads?